Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. I'm here today with Yolanda Machado Escudero, PhD, MSW. Yolanda Machado Escudero, PhD, MSW, is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Social Work at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. Her research interests include environmental injustice, climate change and migration, disability, socioeconomic development, Latin American social work education, social welfare policy, and healthcare disparities in Latinx communities. Her pedagogy is informed by critical race and feminist ecology frameworks, focusing on issues affecting Latino families living in vulnerable contexts. Welcome to the show, Dr. Machado Escadero. So glad to have you today. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. After reading your bio, my first question was, what, what is Latin American social work? Yes, and and I want to add a little bit of context for, for that. Um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. So my bachelor's and master's degree from social work is from the University of Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico, uh, for, for a little bit of, of explanation in sociopolitical and geopolitical context, we are a, a territory slash colony of the United States and we are US citizens. So, so that kind of puts us in between of what we have been before being part of the United States, we have been part of Spain um, as, as a territory, as a colony. So we share a lot of commonalities in terms of language, culture, values, um, religions uh, that are very similar to other Latin American countries. Um, in, in that context, we are also influenced in, especially in social work, um, by uh, the history, foundations, and practice of social work in the United States. Now, we have seen both in practice, a lot less in research, but because of our circular migration, we have been also exposed to what is to be a Latino and representing an, a Latin American nationality and culture within the mainland of the United States. And because of that, other social workers that are in academia as me have given a thought on what, what does this mean to be into this two-prong educational uh, backgrounds? Because we know it's unique and it's different. And how does that inform practice, research, and education. So Latin American social workers, um, because we have had in our social work MSW program, a lot of influence in terms of the books, in terms of what we, we read, in terms of, of the people that came to teach to us, in terms of uh, 
international exchanges that we did as students, it's all reflective of the struggle of a colonized path for, for Latin American people. Um, it's historic, but it's also current and it's still happening to this day. So the post-colonial, I don't even wanna call it post-colonial because it's still, we're still trying to decolonize, but in this process, we have integrated some of that into our classrooms, in our teachings, and um, kind of expand that to uh, the students that uh, we, we see in practice. So we are trying to see if there's a possibility of a model for combining both to invite people to learn about what is, what is to be teaching and learning social work in Latin America and practice, but also how does that reflect into the community and the communities that we serve that are of Latino heritage? Not sure if that answers the question, but it, it is around uh, those areas that we would like to kind of inform, practice through that ed educational lens from Latin American countries. And one example that I can give you is cooperative movements. Um, social work in Latin America is very community, very collective oriented. And we have learned, we, my colleagues and I, that it's not that much so uh, when we come to study in the main in the mainland. So when we see the models of, of practice and, and education here, it's more focused into the individual uh, th therapy or clinical, nothing wrong with that. But we feel that we are more focused into the community as the client. Does that make sense? It makes absolute perfect sense and it's so beautiful. And I, I'm wondering if you could give us an example of what collective or community social work would look like in Puerto Rico. Definitely. Um, I, I come from a place where everybody knows everybody. And that is something that I've been missing tremendously since I moved to the mainland uh, because neighbors are considered family as well. So, so there is this tendency of doing things together, uh, whatever it is, you know, it takes a village, right, to raise a child, but in also, it also takes a village to take care of other members of our neighbors' families. So, so I grew up with that idea that, yeah, I call, I call my neighbor auntie, Titi. <laughs> because she was considered as family, not blood related, but, you know, she helped raising us. She helped uh, with resources for my mom that was uh, divorcing at one point in time. So, so that's the kind of care that we promote in community that we feel responsible for everyone that is there. And we're not going to let anyone to, to, to go, you know, down the hill without all us, offering whatever help needed. Um, and, it, and it's a strong sense, especially in communities uh, that tend to be more marginalized. Uh, we, we can say that this is kind of the survival mode for many communities that they don't want to be uh, 
displaced. They don't want to, they want to remain where they are. There's a lot of problems with um, gentrification uh, in the islands. So, so that's where you see people kind of coming together. It's defending not only the land and the resources, but also defending their sense of place and space as a community. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I and then my next question then is okay, here on the mainland and teaching Latin American social work, how are you seeing that reflected in the communities here now? Or do you? We have a long mm -hmm. way to go. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, when I did my dissertation, uh, for example, um, I, I came with no topic um, for, my, for my PhD. So what I did is, first thing, introduce myself into some Latin American communities, particularly Mexican, because it's the largest community. Uh, I was in Georgia at that time. And what I saw reminded me so much of home that I decided this is this is my adoptive family. <laughs> I'm gonna eat a lot of tamales and I'm gonna be, you know, part of this community, even though um I had to be also very cautious of my situated dilemma of um, you know, not being not feeling like I have the same experiences because many of these families were undocumented or underdocumented. So I had to kind of reflect a lot on that and work around my own um, issues with that. And also um, I was very much a resource. I tried to be a resource for the community in terms of interpreting, in terms of uh, looking for other resources that they did not have or did not have access to. So I truly felt like, no, this is this is really what I want to see in every community. Like we are caring for each other. And I saw all these things. I was like, check, 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 check. You know, I grew up with this and I'm seeing it here. And my dissertation was about that resiliency of women. It was uh, about 11 women that I interviewed. It was a qualitative study that studied that how that resilience became actually activism to help other families that were going through a deportation in their in in their homes. So and, and it was it was poignant, but also beautiful to see that they they overcame their fear of the deportation for themselves and started organizing. So I basically documented this through the interviews and how they created community beyond the physical location where they were at. So, so I also became, you know, a supporter of the organization they created. Um, it, it was really a great experience for me to see it in life, right? Like this is, this is real and it's replicable, but I think it's just depending on the momentum and depending on the people. So a lot of other things came out of that experience. There was a, a group in the community of faculty uh, that they created a community health workers proposal. So they started uh, training some of these women and others 
to be um, community health workers. We call them in Spanish, promotoras de salud. So th their goal was to, because they spoke the language and they could be like this mediator between the people in the community to seek for access for better resources in healthcare. Because a lot of these folks do not have health insurance and they are afraid of um, accessing whatever is like free clinics or so because they fear to be deported. That's, that's the number one stressor in their lives, uh, aside from a lot of them living in poverty. So, so I, I was supportive of, of those women in that program. It lasted like three years, but they created the um, kind of the path for the people to say, I can make a phone call. I can go to this place and kind of trust the system a little bit. So, so we got to actually see the demand, you know, the need for, for more services, for more Spanish speaking professionals in the communities um, and, and the services and the agencies. So that kind of was a sea change in that area for, for the families, for the agencies. So it was a multi-level uh, change that we saw. That is absolutely beautiful. And I love that you said it can be replicated. And so that is the work. And I also just want to stop for a moment and just say thank you. Thank <laughs> you for doing that work because that is thank needed you. work. It's needed work and it's hard. That's tough work. And I just want to take a moment just to say thank you for thank doing you. that work. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of dug started doing it a little. And so, but I'm going to back us up. And just ask you, talk to me about your social work journey. How did you get here? How did you find out about social work? And, you know, what is it? Where do you want to go? When I started college at the University of Puerto Rico, what I wanted to be was a journalist. I'm not sure why, but because of my experiences in high school, I saw it as a way to keep people informed. So and, and I felt like I was good at that, at communicating. Um, so um, then I realized like, eh, maybe not. Um, because that component of, of addressing people in, in their own environment where they were, that is social work. That was not journalism. So, so then I kept exploring and I was at loss at one point in time until my um, advisor said, why not social work? I'm like, oh, okay. I uh, never thought about that. And, and I started um, seeking more into it. I finished my bachelor's in social work um, at the University of Puerto Rico. I went to work and it, I started simultaneously doing the master's program in social work. And it was because it was easy. Uh, I was... Uh, agency based in my own employment so that was really helpful and I developed supervision skills I was doing this with other friends as well so so we created really a group of buddies that were helping each other um, it was great practice for for a PhD and writing dissertation because we wrote a thesis we did a study um, what we call here capstone, um, 
And that was really, really helpful for me to, to see where I wanted to go. So I was more into that um, administrative path, but I worked in so many places in Puerto Rico that gave me different perspectives of what social work is really like. So I became very seasoned in many different areas. Um, I worked with um, in psychiatric settings, inpatient and outpatient for a couple of years. I also uh, worked with uh, domestic violence in uh, shelters. I also worked in community and that's where I saw that this is where I want to be. Doesn't pay great, but just having that opportunity, I was working first in a public housing project and we were um, running the diverse uh, programs for, for the residents. And it was a large, large um, project. So, um, and I'm sorry, I'm calling it project, but that's that's the way it was called then. So the, this community was really organized and they had a lot of um, volunteers and people wanting to work together. So it was really fertile territory for social workers. So I was supervising social workers, uh, kind of facilitating services for the people and, and it was it was great. I really felt compelled to say, well, you know, maybe maybe the future. I did not know I was going to be uh, leaving the island at, at that moment. But um, ne next experience after that confirmed that because I was uh, working then with rural communities in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is very rural. Uh, I don't know if you've been there before, but this island is a lot of beaches, but also a lot of mountains. And and it's, it's a different experience. People in the mountains are just another world, you know, that they, they, they fend for themselves because of the resources are limited. There's have so many problems that people in the cities and in the coastal areas do not have. So I really learned and love the work done in rural areas and how people just put it together, put it together. We, we, don't, we don't have access to running water. Well, we're gonna create um, rain collecting system and they will, will solve the problem. And I, and I really was there like helping finding the resources. So that's, that's how I, I came to be. One, one experience that helped me to kind of solidify to become a social worker, when I was in my second year student in my bachelor's program, I worked uh, as a volunteer with a student counseling center. And that work, it was like a group of 60 students and we met with first year students uh, what we call student life these days, which tend to be a class, but that was not a class. We were peers. So we helping others that came after us to, to adjust to student life, to develop um, skills and techniques, to, to stay in school and um, organize themselves. We did a lot of um, educational, but also leisure activities. Um, and that was really very social working, <laughs> very much this day. I'm still in touch with those friends that I made 
during that time um, because it really was so remarkable that we still talk about it, about the experience of helping others. And back then I did not know I was gonna be, uh, I wasn't sure I was gonna be in social work. But that is more or less how it came to be and, and how I've been discovering like, you know, communities where I feel at home. So I hope that I will continue doing something related with community in my upcoming years in practice. Yolanda, you have made me fall in love with social work in Puerto Rico. I want to know what, I mean, are most, and I don't want to be naive, are, is, there, is there a reciprocity? Social workers from the mainland going to Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico social workers coming to the mainland or once you're a social worker in Puerto Rico, those are the... We need more of that. We need mm. more of that. I think uh, the program I came from, mm. I I go by it. Like I learned so much in my MSW program that I can see how we shape not only my skills and my learning, but also my way of thinking and my way of doing, my epistemology. Um, and, and that's what I want to replicate with students. Uh, we, we come from a very activist, um, a social um, mobilization program. And I know some programs in the United States are like that. Uh, but my experience has been that it's, I don't see it as much, at least not in the experiences that I have had. I, I went to the University of Georgia, I'm now at the University of North Florida, and I would love to see more of that ignited uh, passion in students to be more in community. Most of the students that come to, program, to social work MSW, they want to be clinicians, but no, that doesn't cancel out the opportunity to be in community. Because I feel that a lot of times those uh, issues, clinical issues that people bring in practice are magnified in their communities. You know what? One of my favorite books that I read, um, I, I'm a nerd, so I just read it just for fun. <laughs> but it was on group therapy, Irvin Yalom, The Schopenhauer Cure. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I recommend that book all the time. Now, it is not about communities. It is about groups. But I mean, what is community but a bigger group? And one of the things I remember him saying was, you know, groups and communities are just the microcosm of the, you know, we get to work out our issues with groups and community. And when you're in a controlled group or a controlled community, you're able, especially with a social worker or a really good uh, facilitator, you're able to uh, get on a higher frequency or higher vibration of working out those individual issues within the group and community. So groups and community are key. I, I, I mean, that's where I make my bread and butter is in, in the group setting. So I love this so much. This is so good. And so I heard you say you hope that your work consistently stays or continues to stay within the community setting. What, you know, you talked about the program you uh, wrote your dissertation on. What do you see happening perhaps within community social work that you would like to be involved in? 
I have met wonderful social work faculty that work in community. We don't give enough credit and enough um, recognition to the work they do uh, because it's a lot of work. This is most likely outside the classroom. This is most likely outside business hours. So, so those that are working, you know, between academic work and community work, they have like a double shift because um, they have to, to stay connected with uh, projects in the community. And, and a lot of times they, they, they become in, involved so much that it impacts productivity, which has happened to me. Um, and that's a high bar on things that I, I need to make a balance, right? Because it, it cannot be all or nothing. We need, to, we need to learn to make a balance and um, kind of decide, you know, how much time we're going to, to give to, to these uh, projects and opportunities too. But it's important to me, and I can tell you an example that is happening with one colleague of mine uh, right now at UNF, and you need to interview her. She's just wonderful, Dr. Jasmine Haynes. Um, she works in, with schools and with the with trying to disrupt the pipeline um, from school to prison in very creative ways. So she's involving not only schools but and teachers, but the community surrounding this in order to let them know and be engaged on this this is your school, you know, this is this is important because it's part of your community. So it's a, it's a beautiful work, work that she's doing. And I think that can be replicated in other areas as well. So in my, in my case, I see people reaching out to me, like coming to the classroom or me inviting them to talk to the students. So uh, on, a, on aspects and areas that are really less spoken as this is community, right? Especially environmental injustice. Uh, and climate change. Social workers are talking very little about this. There are some um, efforts and it's becoming more and more like, oh, this is really impacting the people we serve, the people we see in practice, our clients. But how do we then introduce uh, our social work skills um, to, to kind of define better the, the problem to help the, the clients we serve? So, so I see that happening little by little, and that's that's a new area that I am exploring as well to kind of stay connected with my homeland, Puerto Rico. So, because it's a symbiotic interaction, right? We are relational, Renita. This is all relational. I see it all the time. I don't know why we don't talk more about it in classrooms and and in agencies as students go to practice. So I wanna make it more intentional that we see that it's important to uh, include those aspects into the community setting. And probably, you know, because my closeness to back to Puerto Rico or because some problems are kind of happening in both places, uh, sometimes at the same time, that's how I feel there is a connection and there's a need for schools of social work 
and to be more into uh, this this areas educate you know be facilitating um, which I don't mean it's not happening but I think I really uh, want to be more part of it so if that makes sense it makes absolute sense and I'm so glad too that you brought up environmental injustice and climate change and social work whoa my my brain just exploded in thinking I never, and I've been doing this a long time, thought about social workers working within environmental justice arenas and climate change. Can you speak a little bit about what our roles look like in that area? Totally, totally. Um, first of all, we need to acknowledge that there is a problem because there's a lot of denial still, especially in the our sociopolitical spheres that we are um, interacting with. So, so that educational role of social worker, first we have to, to educate ourselves, right? In order to educate others. Um, and then starting seeing what the problem is at different levels of society. I assign my students in field, I teach field, that they need to go through their agencies, through their clients that they're seeing, uh, whatever opportunity they have to see what does environmental injustice look, looks like and who is impacted by it. And at the beginning it's like, well, I don't know, I know it's not like um, we're gonna see it. You have to look into it deeply and intentionally. So when we talk about food deserts, what, what, why, why do we have people that cannot buy produce in their own communities? It's an environmental injustice issue. Why people don't have transportation that is appropriate and affordable and effective? That is an environmental injustice issue because if you don't have a car, and even if you have a car, you know, you're gonna be walking several miles under the sun or in winter. And that is impactful to everything you do in life. So, so you're gonna be exposed to weather and you're gonna be um, negatively impacted by these things. So once I start explaining these things, so it's like, oh, then they start seeing it. And then they come back with examples of, oh, I saw this and I see that. And how can we educate clients and families about, um, what they can do. I love that so much. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that up and coming social workers are going to have more exposure to be able to look and help and work with our clients through that lens that may, like you said, is not talked about often enough and including myself. Um, and now having that lens to work with our clients is it's going to be amazing. That is, that is amazing. I heard you, you know, you got your BSW, MSW while you were still in Puerto Rico. Did you do your PhD in, on the mainland? And then what made you decide to go all the way with this thing? And, uh, you know, what is it that you're wanting to do? Yes. So, so that's, that's a good question. Um, I knew I wanted to do a PhD always. I've been always surrounded by books. Um, and that's the one thing that my father kind of 
you know, always had books in, in the house. So I knew that I, I, I love books. I love reading. I love studies. I want to see how far can I go. I'm the, I'm the only one in my family uh, with graduate uh, degrees. And um, it's like, oh, we grew up in the same household. And how come this did not impact my siblings in the same way as me? To me, this was a priority, always, always, always. So, so when I um, got married and I, I saw the opportunity kind of fading away of finishing a PhD, I moved um, with my then spouse to Virginia and I started a PhD in public administration, not in social work, because that uh, that's a Virginia Tech. They did not have a PhD in social work, but I started teaching at the next town uh, social work program at Rafferty University. And it kind of brought back my desire of, you know, I need to finish social work. So I studied like a year and a half in the public administration program, which kind of, you know, intersected some areas of my interest, but but not quite. So, so then uh, when I moved to Georgia, uh, Athens, I just found myself with all this time, I was not working and I started looking for work. I attended an NASW chapter meeting in Atlanta. And I'm like, well, this is my opportunity to, you know, to see what's out there. Atlanta is 90 minutes from Athens. So I thought, oh, well, I, I might need to do the sacrifice to, to come and work in Atlanta because Athens has the particularity that it's a college town and a lot of people volunteer, a lot of students volunteer in different agencies. So, so it was not easy to just find a job that will pay um, well. So, so Atlanta that I was in, in the lunch that we had that day, there was this man that approached me and said, so you're the only Latina in the classroom. Have you noticed? <laughs> And I did it. And I'm like, uh, that's probably true. And then he said, so what are you, what are your interests? So I, I, I don't remember his name. I don't remember where he was working. But this African-American man that just made me realize that you don't, you don't need to be here working for a job, looking for a job. You need to go do your PhD. So it was just like, he read my, my mind, uh, like, you are so right. I mean, UGA has a great school of social work uh, in town where I live. So I left that meeting just thanking this stranger for just putting that back in the mind in my mind again. Like I really need to go back. So I went, and the next day I applied, and that was that was wonderful. So so and I got accepted and. And, and here we are. So the future, obviously doing a PhD is a very painful journey. So PhDing uh, doesn't stop after you finish and you get a job. There's a lot of other things happening. And this experience that I'm having right now is my first experience as uh, in academics. And it's like what everybody tells you, like, you're going to apply for academic jobs and you're going to be um, an academic and you know, a scholar. 
And I like the idea. But I realized in that um, at this point in time, I have so much more to offer than, than just kind of limiting myself because it is way more complicated to actually do research, to actually do all these things as a single mom with an autistic child. So all that kind of reshapes where I want to be. The one thing that I've been having so far is flexibility somewhat on working things around my role as a mother. And, and I am grateful for that opportunity. And also teaching students, I, I feel very passionate about that. But I do want to see what else out there I can do that is contributing, but also feeding me uh, back. Like, you know, what is, what is that that will keep me motivated to continue serving in my field of social work? So I'm in that threshold right now, kind of exploring and, and hopefully finding uh, my next niche. And uh, we'll see. I'll keep you posted. I love it. And you know what I love too? Like you can you can reach this goal. Like you always knew you wanted to get that PhD. Reach the goal. But one of the things that I'm loving is like now that you got to the mountaintop, you're like, oh, wow, there's a whole world out there and I want to play. <laughs> and you're staying open and you're doing what you're doing and you're loving it. But you're not going to also, you know, you're just going to play within the field of social work with all that experience and education. We are lucky to have you, boy. Thank we are you. lucky to have you. I'm going to transition to our next question. We've been talking a lot about community. And that actually, Yolanda, is one of the reasons I wanted to start the Goddesses of Social Work podcast was because I realized in the last few years how important social work community is to me. And I thought it was important to me then I knew it probably was important to other people. So I guess I'm curious if you could dig in a little bit to um, what social work communities are you involved with or have created? And or what social work communities do you want to uh, be intentional about being in in the future? Absolutely. Um, so I've been lucky to have not only nurtured and be nurtured, but also expand that community through academia. Um, it is it is something that I wish I could have done more locally. And, and the reason probably is because also pandemic came in the way when I started my my uh, first appointment as assistant professor, I mean, the work changed and becoming a silo was not um, productive or positive for me. So it's kind of suddenly you don't have that community component. So I kind of missed it and I started to becoming part of groups in virtually. And that's how I think uh, it helped me to to go through and and, and survive and thrive. Uh, so I, at the moment, I am um, a co-chair for an environmental justice committee with the Council on Social Work Education, and and this has been like a seven year um, job. That's not job. <laughs> it doesn't pay. It doesn't pay. But uh, but it has really. Um, allow me to participate. We co-wrote a book 
I have wrote in some chapters in books and some articles related to many aspects that are impacted by um, environmental injustice, um, environmental racism is huge. Um, so, so these are topics that I bring also to the classroom because we are working it in our uh, committee. The committee will uh, cease to exist soon because um, CSWE, the Council on uh, Social Work Education, realized that we don't have a council or a commission dedicated to environmental justice. So now they are going to make a call very soon for volunteers to become uh, members uh, for that council that is environmental justice and human rights. Like it took 70 years, right? <laughs> to realize like, oh, this is huge. This is very, so important. So, so I'm very happy that I was part of that process on now this group of people will have a vote uh, in our um, one of our main organizations. And, um, and that, that has been wonderful. So I continue being in that group and you know looking for opportunities to, to write together, to do research together, but also to um, expand uh, the education. I'm also part of the uh, Social Work Grant Challenges and uh, that, that is really important to me as a contributor on the environmental justice issues. I also belong to this group um, on critical social work, critical race social work. And that has been pivotal to kind of seek not only comfort, but also understanding you know, what is happening in Florida right now with all these dynamics that are impacting education and the work we do, um, not only in uh, K-12, but also in higher education. And effectively this past week, colleges in Florida do not have money for DEI initiatives. That means jobs have been eliminated, programs that have been helping primarily students of color, are eliminated and it's brutal, you know, and it's poignant and it's painful. And sometimes we feel hopeless and helpless in the situation and students catch up on these things and they bring these issues in uh, the classroom. So that group has helped me to kind of dilute all this, you know, emotional um, baggage because people fear for, is my program going to be not accredited? That is that is a big concern. Um, how how safe it is for us as faculty to continue speaking on these issues and not being sanctioned or silenced? Because I I feel the intentionality is that we we have been silenced. Um, and some of us decide to still speak our truth, but. Um, <laughs> But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough and it's draining. And I think a lot of us are exhausted. So, so the groups like these are really helping me to kind of canalize that and say, you know, we're not alone in this. There's people from across the nation that are looking at us and 
they don't want to become us, but they also want to, you know, make a stand and and be of support of what is happening in Florida. That it will it will be a copycat for other states. Wait for it. Wait for it. So so it's imperative that uh, we don't do this alone. That we continue um, being in these groups. Um, there's a there's a meeting I I went this past week on Friday I think sister on sister and I will send you that information because it's really a group of academic um, faculty women of color that are trying to support each other in the aftermath of what happened um, at Lincoln University so because it's real there's so much need for purposive and um, catered mental health services for faculty in academia. We don't have that. We don't have that. That's why we need to seek out, outsource out of our, of our academic settings. Um, and, and that was really, really helpful uh, for me to see that, yes, sisters are there, you know, to, to, to reach out to each other because Today is me, but tomorrow is someone else. And how can I help from my own experience to, you know, hand help, uh, hold hands uh, with others that are going through uh, situations like we are right now. Mm. Mm. I'm thinking about um, Dr. Bailey and I've been thinking about her for a couple of weeks, you know, and I just want to say her name. I hope I don't tear up. I just want to say her name because it Please. is hard for brown and black women in academics. And I love that you are the thing that I'm loving right now in this conversation, Yolanda, is that you're not afraid to speak your truth, that even though there's so many external factors that are telling you that you need to be silent, that you should not say anything against anything, especially the state that you're currently living in. And you're like, no, I'm going to still speak my truth because if I don't, women like Dr. Bailey are losing their lives. I know. And when we take sort of comfort on, on knowing that things can be done, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of times we don't know how to reach out for help. We feel like, oh, it's, there's no one, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I want to pass that message. There is help. We, we probably need to create how does this help is going to look like uh, together. So um, there's, there's a lot of work. But I think yeah. what makes it so difficult, and we're fearing a little bit, but I think what makes it, and we were talking a little bit before uh, we hit the record, but I think what makes it difficult is when you're the only one <laughs> in your department, in your school, in your you know building, where you do think that there's no help. And so for us to be speaking up and saying, yes, reach out to me the sister on sister group that you went to or, or, or webinar you were a part of and getting the word out about those kinds of things. Because on Monday morning, when you go to work, you're the only one who looks like you in those spaces. And it does feel very isolating. So 
I heard you say, you kind of just said it again, you know, especially your students are coming back, they're seeing, they're hearing all of the changes that are going on and they're coming back and to the classroom and they're feeling helpless and hopeless. What, you know, what are you saying to keep hope alive? Yeah, we talk a lot about um, first reaching out mm -hmm. to to not not self care, but again community care, um, because it goes beyond us. And I think as 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 long as we heal together, um, and I and I mentioned that a lot in the classroom, and you know, we are even considering like like we we need some kind of you know external support. Our faculties is really um, feeling it, and and we talk about this all the time. You know that's why we want, on first place, the well-being of our students uh, that are impacted by by all these issues. So so that's we we created like a little questionnaire and, and assessing you know how are they feeling, what are what are the needs, so so we can facilitate these conversations. Um, with mental health professionals as well, because we all, we all need it. We all need it. And I cannot encourage that enough. Um, we don't have enough resources in our campus or, or in Jacksonville to, to address everyone. It should be mandated. It should be mandated. All the professions do that so that they, they can check in. I check in with my students every single class. Even if it takes longer, we need to do a member check-in. What, what is happening, you know? And and I and I encourage them to share, and I encourage others to acknowledge and be of support. So so we do what we can from our trenches, uh, with the limited resources, but at least it's acknowledged and and they know that they are heard and they are seen. So um, I invite them every single week, come to my office, you know, reach out, reach out. Um, so, so if something is happening, we can um, address it immediately. Absolutely. Acknowledgement, being seen and feeling heard saves lives. We do it for our clients. We got to do it for ourselves. Yeah, that is beautiful. Thank you so much, Yolanda. That was absolutely beautiful. I'm going to transition to our next question. What is one belief about social work that you started on this journey with that you feel has changed the most? One thing that has changed in social work mm -hmm. since I started, it's a long career. I got my, my master's in 1998. So, so, so there's some history there. And um, to this day, I don't know the one thing, because there's, there's a few things that could come to mind, but the one thing is how technology is a gift and a curse sometimes. And we, we're coming out of that uh, Zoom thing and teaching online virtually. And, and, and now it's convenient, right? To, to have our meetings and field in, in our online classroom. Um, coming out of that, because again, my standpoint is relational. 
And a lot of times I feel students are not getting it when we are meeting online. So we are starting to come back to the classroom as a way to be more attuned and in tune with them. They are presenting it. There's resistance. And I just don't get it. Maybe I'm too old, Renita, but I'm like, I always wanted to be in the classroom. I know it is convenient and and they can be somewhere else doing something else while they are in my online class. But then are they really are they really here with me, with us? Um, it's a lot more difficult to create that um environment of of unity when we are online and and thank you thank you for all these uh resources because we appreciate and we use them but to me especially in a field class it feels that we need to be together you know um in in in, a, in presence being present um and that is that is a little more harder when we are doing um uh, the online setting so so yeah i'm i'm just amazed that how how we did it i don't know how we did it i think students that graduated i don't know the ones that started in 2020 graduated two years ago um how does that impact their career right how how are they going to be in the same room in the same office with their clients uh because they took no classes in the classroom at all. So that's the one thing that I feel like, how can we work around it better? I don't know, I don't have an answer, um, but we need to be very creative and um, and see how we can still make it more personal, more relational. I agree with you. I graduated with my MSW in 99. So we're right there, sister, <laughs> we're yeah. right there together. And I often wondered about that as well. How social work is such a hands-on uh, profession. How how do you teach it and or give that skill set or teach that skill set yeah. uh, to folks who never had to touch nobody? <laughs> so I'm right there with you, Yolanda. This has been such an amazing and just oh, cup filling for me conversation. And I move into our our final question. And, you know, I just, I think I want to know how do we attract more of what we want to see within the social work profession? You know, you talked about the need for community and face-to-face -face interaction and, um, you know, environmental injustice and racism, climate change, uh, Latina, American social work. How do we attract more of what we want to see within the social work profession? Yes. I may not have an answer at the moment for that, but I can tell you what I do. And what I do is speak to everyone and anyone that is interested to hear of the beauty of our prof mm. profession and our how dynamic it is. Renita, I have never been out of work uh, unintentionally. When I left a job, it's because I wanted to move on into something, a new experience or a better paid job. I have always, always found a home in social work. 
And not only that, I think what we learn is for life and meaning our lives and how I have been managing situations in life, thanking this profession that had kind of trained me into making it better and knowing that hope is, is, is the north of, of what we do. We always have hope in people and their abilities to overcome adversity into their desires for a better future and um, whatever capabilities they can uh, develop while we are working uh, together. So, so that is the one thing that I always say, like, yeah, I, I can tell that it has impacted my whole life, not only, you know, in terms of um, work, but also in whatever life stage I've been uh, confronting difficulties. So, so yay, social workers. Yay, social workers. Yolanda, I'm going to tell you, I'm in love with social work, but this conversation may fall in love with it all over oh. again. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. So I love meeting social workers who are in love with the profession. And you can t- you just ooze love for the social work profession. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing and for just showing up with me today on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We're so glad that you showed up tonight. I want to thank you. And please, please keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's much needed. I will be definitely using, uh, at least for field uh, your podcast uh, is 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 really nurturing, especially those first year students that are still uh, struggling. Oh, what where, what what is this looking like uh, for them? So mm-hmm. so they will have that example. Thank you so much, Renita, for having me. Awesome. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work, and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.